Section nine of the Chouans by Honoré de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter two D. Mademoiselle de Vernoy came back and exchanged with the young man a smile and a look of gentle raillery. The prophecies of hope were the more flattering because the future seemed so uncertain, and the time that they might spend together so very brief. The glance, however rapid it might be, was not lost on Madame de Goise's discerning eyes. She saw what it meant, and her brow slightly contracted at once. Her jealous thoughts could not be kept entirely unexpressed by her face francine was studying this woman she saw her eyes sparkle and the color glow in her cheeks a fiendish inspiration seemed to animate her face she seemed to be in the throes of some terrible convulsion but this passed like a flash across her features lightning could not be more rapid nor death more swift madame de gois resumed her apparent sprightliness with such ready self-command that francine thought she had been dreaming for all that she trembled as she discerned in the woman before her a nature at least as vehement as mademoiselle de verneuil's and foresaw the alarming collisions that were sure to come to pass between two minds of this temper she shuddered again when she saw mademoiselle de verneuil go up to the young officer fling at him one of those passionate glances that intoxicate and draw him by both hands towards the window with mischievous coquetry now said she as she tried to read his eyes confess to me that you are not the citizen du saint-cyr yes i am mademoiselle but both he and his mother were murdered the day before yesterday i am extremely sorry he answered smiling at her but however that may be i am none the less obliged to you i shall always remember you with deep gratitude and i wish that i were in a position to prove it i thought i had saved an emigrant but i like you better as a republican she became embarrassed at the words which seemed to have heedlessly dropped from her her lips grew redder there was nothing in her face but a delightfully artless revelation of her feelings softly she dropped the young officer's hands not through bashfulness because she had pressed them but impelled by a thought within her heart well-nigh too heavy to bear and so she left him intoxicated by his hopes then quite suddenly she seemed to repent within herself of this freedom although these passing adventures of travel might seem to justify it she stood once more on ceremony took leave of her traveling companions and vanished with francine when they had reached their room, Francine locked her fingers together and turned out the palms of her outstretched hands, twisting her arms to do so, as she looked at her mistress, saying, Ah, Marie, how many things have happened in such a short time! There is no one like you for these goings-on. Mademoiselle de Vernoy sprang to Francine and put her arms round her neck. 
this is life she cried i am in heaven or in hell maybe francine answered yes hell if you like said mademoiselle de vernoy merrily here give me your hand feel how my pulse beats i am in a fever little matters all the world to me now how often have i not seen him in my dreams what a fine head that is of his and how his eyes sparkle but will he love you asked the peasant girl with direct simplicity her voice faltered and her face took a sober expression can you ask replied mademoiselle de vernoy now tell me francine she added striking a half comic half tragical attitude before her would he be so very hard to please yes but will the love last francine answered smiling for a moment the two remained struck dumb francine because she had disclosed so much knowledge of life and marie because for the first time in her existence she beheld a prospect of happiness in a love affair she was leaning as it were over a precipice and would fain try its depths waiting for the sound of the pebble that she had thrown over and in the first instance had thrown heedlessly ah that is my business she said with the gesture of a desperate gambler i have no compassion for a woman who is cast off she has only herself to blame for her desertion once in my keeping i shall know how to retain a man's heart through life and death there was a moment's pause and she added in a tone of surprise but how did you come by so much experience francine mademoiselle said the young countrywoman eagerly i can hear footsteps in the corridor ah not his said the other listening for them so this is the way you answer me i understand you i shall wait for your secret or i shall guess it francine was right three raps on the door interrupted their conversation and captain merle soon showed his face after he heard mademoiselle de vernoy's invitation to enter the captain made a military salute ventured a sidelong glance at mademoiselle de vernoy and dazzled by the beautiful woman before him could find nothing else to say than i am at your orders mademoiselle so you have become my protector on the resignation of your chief of demi-brigade is not that what your regiment is called my superior officer adjutant major gerard sent me to you so your commandant is afraid of me she inquired begging your pardon mademoiselle hulot is not afraid but ladies are not much in his line you see and it rather put him out to find his general wearing a mutch it was his duty to obey his superiors for all that mademoiselle de vernoy replied i have a liking for subordination i give you warning and i do not like resistance to my authority it would be difficult said merle let us talk things over mademoiselle de vernoy continued 
your troops here are fresh they will escort me to mayenne which i can reach to-night could we find fresh soldiers there so as to set out again at once without a halt the shuans do not know of our little expedition if we travel at night in this way we should have to be very unlucky indeed to meet with them in numbers sufficient to attack us let us see now tell me if you think the plan feasible yes mademoiselle how are the roads between mayenne and fougeres rough and there are everlasting ups and downs a regular squirrel track let us be off at once said she and as we have no dangers to fear on the outskirts of alencon set out first and we will soon overtake you one might think she had been ten years in command said merla to himself as he went out hulot was wrong about her that girl is not one of the sort that make their living from feather beds mille cartouches if captain merla means to be adjutant major some day i advise him not to take saint michael for the devil whilst mademoiselle de vernoy was taking counsel with the captain francine slipped out intending to inspect from a corridor window a spot in the courtyard which had attracted her curiosity ever since her arrival in the inn so rapt was her gaze upon the heap of straw in the stable that any one might have thought her engaged in prayer before the shrine of the holy virgin very soon she saw madame du gouas picking her way towards marche a terre with all the caution of a cat that tries not to wet its paws at sight of the lady the chouan rose and stood most respectfully before her this strange occurrence revived francine's curiosity she sprang out into the yard gliding along by the wall so that madame de gouas should not see her and tried to hide herself behind the stable door she held her breath and walked on tiptoe trying not to make the slightest sound and succeeded in placing herself close to marcheterre without attracting his attention and if after you have made all these inquiries you find that that is not her name said the stranger lady to the chouan you will shoot her down without mercy as if she were a mad dog i understand said marcheterre the lady went the chouan put his red woolen cap on his head again and stood scratching his ear like a man in doubt when he saw francine start up before him as if by magic saint anne of auray cried he and suddenly dropping his whip he clasped his hands and stood enraptured a faint red flush lit up his rough face and his eyes shone out like diamonds in the mud is that really cotin's lass he asked in a stifled voice audible to himself alone aren't you just grand godin he went on after a pause this rather odd word godin godin in the patois of the country serves rustic wooers to express the highest possible admiration of a combination of beauty and finery i am afraid to touch you 
Marcheterre added, but nevertheless he stretched out his big hand to Francine to ascertain the weight of a thick gold chain which wound about her throat and hung down to her waist. "'You had better not, Pierre,' Francine said, inspired by the woman's instinct to tyrannize wherever she is not oppressed. Francine drew back with much dignity after enjoying the Chouan's surprise, but there was plenty of kindliness in her looks to make up for her hard words. She came nearer again. Pierre, she went on, was not that lady talking to you about the young lady my mistress? Marcheterre stood in silence. His face, like the dawn, was a struggle between light and darkness. He looked first at Francine, then at the great whip that he had dropped, and finally back at the gold chain, which seemed to have for him an attraction quite as powerful as the face of the Breton maid. Then, as if to put an end to his perplexities, he picked up his whip again and uttered not a word. "'Oh, it is not difficult to guess that the lady has ordered you to kill my mistress,' Francine continued. She knew the scrupulous loyalty of the gars, and wished to overcome his hesitation. Marcheterre nodded significantly. For Cotin's lass, this was an answer. Very well, then, Pierre. If anything should happen to her, no matter how slight, or if you should take so much as a hair of her head, we shall have seen each other for the last time, and we shall not even meet in eternity, for I shall be in paradise, and you will go to hell. No demoniac exorcised by the offices of the church performed in pomp in the days of yore could have shown more terror than Marche à terre at this prophecy, uttered with a conviction that went far to assure him that it would really come to pass. The uncouth tenderness revealed in his first glances now struggled with a fanatical sense of duty every whit as exacting as love itself. He looked savage all at once as he noticed the air of authority assumed by his innocent former sweetheart. Francine explained the Chouan's glumness in her own fashion. "'So you will do nothing for me?' she said in a reproachful tone. The Chouan gave his sweetheart a look, black as the raven's wing, at the words. "'Are you your own mistress?' asked he, in a growl that no one but Francine could hear. "'Should I be here if I were?' she asked indignantly. "'But what are you doing here?' still chouanning and scouring the roads like a mad animal looking for someone to bite oh pierre if you were reasonable you would come with me this pretty young lady who i may tell you was brought up in our house at home has taken charge of me i have two hundred livres invested income mademoiselle gave five hundred crowns to buy my uncle thomas's big house for me and i have two thousand livres of savings besides but her smile and the enumeration of her riches failed of their effect she still confronted marcheterre's inscrutable gaze 
The rectors have told us to fight, he replied. There is an indulgence for every blue that drops. But perhaps the blues will kill you. He let his arms fall at his sides by way of reply, as if he regretted the meagerness of his sacrifice for God and the King. And then what would become of me? The girl went on sadly. Mash Ater looked at Francine like a man bereft of his faculties. His eyes seemed to dilate. Two tears stole down his rough cheeks and rolled in parallel lines over his goatskin raiment. A hollow groan came from his chest. St. Anne of Auray, is that all you will say to me, Pierre, after we have been parted for seven years? How changed you are! My love is always the same, the Chouan broke out in gruff tones. No, she murmured, the king comes before me. I shall go, he said, if you look at me in that way. Very well, then, good-bye, she said sadly. Good-bye, echoed Machater. He seized Francine's hand, pressed it in his own, and kissed it, made the sign of the cross, and escaped into the stable like some dog that has just purloined a bone. Piamish, he called to his comrade, I cannot see a bit. Have you your snuff-box about you? Oh, cry bleu, what a fine chain, said Piamish, fumbling in a pocket contrived in his goatskin. He held out to Marcheter a little conical snuff-box, made out of a cow's horn, in which Bretons keep the snuff that they grind for themselves in the long winter evenings. The Chouan raised his thumb so as to make a cup-shaped hollow in his left hand, as pensioners are wont to do when measuring their pinches of snuff, and shook the horn into it vigorously, Piamish having unscrewed the nozzle. A fine dust was slowly shaken from the tiny hole at the end of this Breton appurtenance. Marcheter repeated this feat seven or eight times in silence, as if the powder possessed some virtue for changing the current of his thoughts. Then, with a sudden involuntary gesture of despair, he flung the snuff-box to Piamish and picked up a carbine that lay hidden in the straw. There's no use in taking seven or eight pinches at a time, like that, said the niggardly Piamiche. Forward, cried Marcheter hoarsely. There is some work for us to do. Some thirty Chouans, who were sleeping under the hay-racks and in the straw, raised their heads at this, and, seeing Marcheter standing, vanished forthwith through a door which led into some gardens whence they could reach the open country. When Francine left the stable, she found the mail-coach ready to start. Mademoiselle de Vernoy and her two travelling companions were seated in it already. The Breton girl shuddered to see her mistress in the coach with, at her side, the woman who had just given orders to kill her. The suspect had placed himself opposite Marie, and as soon as Francine took her seat, the heavy coach set out with all speed. 
the gray clouds had vanished before the autumn sunlight which brought a certain revival of gladness to the melancholy fields as though the year were yet young many a pair of lovers read an augury in these signs in the sky silence prevailed among the travellers at first to francine's great surprise mademoiselle de vernoy had returned to her former reserve she kept her head slightly bent and her eyes downcast while her hands were hidden under a sort of cloak in which she had wrapped herself if she raised her eyes at all it was to look at the changing landscape as she was whirled through it she was secure of admiration and was declining to take any notice of it but her indifference seemed scarcely genuine and suggested coquetry there is a certain touching purity which dominates every fleeting phase of expression by which weaker souls reveal themselves but there was no charm of this kind about this being whose highly wrought temperament had marked her out for the storms of passion the stranger opposite was as yet altogether taken up with the delights of a newly begun flirtation and did not try to reconcile the inconsistencies in this extraordinary girl a lofty enthusiast and a coquette did not her feigned serenity give him a chance to study her face at his leisure rendered as beautiful now by repose as before by excitement we are not very apt to find fault with anything that gives us pleasure in a coach it is not easy for a pretty woman to avoid the eyes of her fellow-travellers they turn to her in search of one more relief from the tedium of the journey the young officer therefore took a pleasure in studying the striking and clear-cut outlines of her face delighted to satisfy the cravings of a growing passion by gazing at her as at a picture without giving annoyance by his persistence or causing the fair stranger to avoid his glances sometimes the daylight brought out the transparent rose hues of her nostrils and the double curves that lie between the nose and the upper lip or a faint sunbeam would shed its light upon every shade of color in her face on the pearly white about her mouth and eyes growing to a dead ivory tint at her throat and temples and the rose red in her cheeks he watched admiringly the contrasts of the light and shadow underneath the masses of dark hair about her face which lent to it one more transient grace for everything is transient about woman her yesterday's beauty is not her beauty of to-day and this is lucky perhaps for her the sailor as he called himself was still at an age when a man finds bliss in the nothings that make up the whole of love he watched with pleasure the incessant movements of her eyelids the rise and fall of her bodice as she breathed fascinated him sometimes his fancy led him to detect a connection between the expression of her eyes and a scarcely discernible movement of her lips 
for him every gesture was a revelation of the young girl's nature every movement showed her to him in some new aspect some thought or other flickered over the rapidly changing features a sudden flush of color overspread them or they glowed with life as she smiled and he would find inexpressible pleasure in the attempt to penetrate the secret thoughts of the mysterious woman before him everything about her was a snare alike for the senses and the soul the silence so far from being a hindrance to an intimate understanding was forging a chain of thought to unite them both after several encounters with the stranger's glances marie de vernoy saw that this silence would compromise her so she turned to madame du gois with one of those banal questions that serve to open a conversation but even then she could not help bringing in a mention of the lady's son how could you bring yourself to put your son into the navy madame said she do you not condemn yourself to a life of constant anxiety mademoiselle it is the lot of women of mothers i mean to tremble constantly for their dearest treasures your son is very like you do you think so mademoiselle this serene acceptance of madame de gois statement as to her age made the young man smile and provoked a new malignity in his supposed mother every glowing look that her son bent on marie increased her hatred both the silence and the talk inflamed her anger to a fearful pitch though it was concealed beneath a most amiable manner you are quite mistaken mademoiselle said the stranger the navy is not more exposed to danger than the other service women ought not to dislike the navy for have we not one immense superiority over the land forces in that we are always faithful to our mistresses yes because you cannot help it laughed mademoiselle de vernoy but it is faithfulness at any rate said madame de gois in an almost melancholy voice the conversation grew more lively turning upon matters which were only interesting to the three travellers under circumstances of this kind people with active minds are apt to give new significances to commonplace utterances but beneath the apparently frivolous cross-fire of questions with which these two amused themselves the feverish hopes and desires that stirred in them lay concealed marie was never off her guard displaying a tact and astute shrewdness which taught madame de gois that only by employing treachery and slander could she look to triumph over a rival whose wit was as formidable as her beauty the travellers overtook the escort and the coach went less rapidly on its way the young sailor saw that there was a long hill to climb and proposed to mademoiselle de vernoy that they should alight and walk 
the young man's friendly politeness and courteous tact had its effect on the fair parisian he felt her consent to be a compliment are you of the same opinion madame she asked of madame de gois will you not join our walk coquette exclaimed the lady as she alighted marie and the stranger walked together and yet asunder he already felt himself mastered by vehement desires and was eager to break through the reserve with which she treated him a reserve that did not deceive him in the least he thought to succeed in this by bringing his lively conversational powers to bear upon his companion with the debonair gaiety of old france that is sometimes light-hearted sometimes earnest readily moved to laughter but always chivalrous the spirit that distinguished the prominent men among the exiled aristocracy but the lively parisian lady met his attempts at frivolity in so disdainful a humor rallied him with such malicious reproaches and showed so marked a preference for the bold and elevated ideas that passed into his talk in spite of himself that he soon perceived the way to please her so the conversation took another turn the stranger thenceforward fulfilled the promises made by his eloquent face every moment he found new difficulties in understanding this siren who was captivating him more and more and was compelled to suspend his judgment upon a girl who took a capricious delight in contradicting each conclusion that he formed concerning her the mere sight of her beauty had carried him away in the first instance and now he felt himself strongly drawn towards this strange soul by a curiosity which marie herself took pleasure in stimulating unconsciously their converse assumed a more intimate character the indifferent tone which mademoiselle de vernoy had unsuccessfully tried to give to it had disappeared entirely End of section 9